What's up, everyone, and welcome back to the Half Natty Podcast. And today we have a special episode. This is going to be a roundtable discussion, uh, essentially like a 2v2. Uh, we have two new guests on the podcast and then one that you've seen beforehand. So uh, let's go ahead and introduce the two new guests. We have Dr. Mike Isratel, who is the chief sports scientist at Renaissance Periodization. He has a PhD in sports physiology, and he's also a competitive bodybuilder and professional jiu-jitsu grappler. And his counterpart, Jared Feather, who is a physique coach at Renaissance Periodization. He has his master's in exercise physiology. He is an IPE and NFF pro bodybuilder, as well as a nationally qualified MPC competitive bodybuilder and then on the other side of the table we have returning guest john jewett who is the head coach and owner of j3 sports rd he has a registered dietitian and a master's in nutrition uh, and he's also an ifbb pro bodybuilder and his counterpart luke miller who's the head coach and owner of no switch fitness he has a master's in exercise science and he is a competitive bodybuilder in the mpc as well as the co-host to this podcast but that is our lineup for today hopefully you enjoy this conversation we're going to be talking all things volume let's dive into it All right, guys. So I think the big thing, just real quick, is just to kind of set the set the stage and the platform for the the population we're going to be talking about. So I do kind of want to gear this a little bit more towards the intermediate to advanced um, physique athlete, just because that's probably a little bit closer to where a lot of our our podcast is centered around. Um, and then just two quick delineations, just to make sure we're all on the same page when we're discussing variables. Um, I want volume to be referring to like sets total or set additions and then obviously volume load be something distinctly different when we're having the conversation just so we don't, you know, try to refer to volume load when we're referring to volume. So um, other than that, I think it's pretty self-explanatory. And I think the first place to start is to kind of jump into how we set up the training program for these individuals and then we'll get into the progression piece after so, Dr. Mike, I'd like you to kind of start us off with what setup looks like for y'all on y'all's end. As far as volume is concerned? Yeah, just general program setup from the beginning. What are the volume considerations and how do we set up the program to get started? I gotcha. Well, can you guys hear me okay? Yeah, I got you good there when you brought it closer. Okay, cool. So, yeah, Jared, when you talk, talk into the... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sort of thing. Not much talking, but... Sorry, roommates. Right so um basically you want to choose exercises first uh know what your exercise you're doing and then you want to set up a frequency of training which we usually is between two and four times a week per muscle group usually there are some exceptions i interject and just ask for clarification do you want to like an overall just what we do as far as clientele and um i hope i didn't switch it off clientele and setting up a full program yeah so this would be like any clientele that would be in that intermediate to advanced physique physique athlete so y'all kind of fall into that as well so if it if it helps to make it easier where y'all discussing just your own is fine it helps luke you mean like in a in a group level like because or, or like when if you have an individual like programming 
So I feel like there's so just like the group concepts, just general concepts so that we can get into what the progression piece looks like. I got you. Okay. So yeah, uh, choose exercises first uh, to the individual's needs and abilities. Um, a lot of that depends on the athlete's history and what they've been doing and is the exercise currently very stimulative or is it just mo- mostly injurious. Um, and then you pick a frequency, usually two to four, and that frequency is informed by what they've done before. Um, and then you can pick uh, loading parameters after that target certain rep ranges. We like to train with rep ranges anywhere between five reps and 30 reps per set, uh, usually starting around two to four reps uh, from failure in the first week and then slowly working up by adding load and or reps so long as the reps are within whatever sub rep range we pick, which we usually have three sub rep ranges, the five to 10, 10 to 20 and 20 to 30 rep range. And like some exercises like lat pull downs, you're not going to start with sets of five uh, and you know, uh, you know, squats, you're not going to start with sets of 20. Although I have done that before to no avail whatsoever. Um, yeah. I don't know what it results in more than vomiting. Uh, definitely results in vomiting. So if you're like, I'm going to throw up today, that's a good start. Heart trauma. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and then, so once we have all those variables selected, then the question comes to volume. And essentially, I, I think that we're getting more and more into the realm of you don't actually have to pre-plan your volume too much. You can auto-regulate almost the entire thing. So for example, you would go in and choose the, so you have exercises, you have sessions built because you have a frequency, you have a target rep range and a, um, or you pick the load that is in accordance with that rep range that lets you stay two to four reps in reserve away. So if your best squat at a set of 10 is 400, you know, if you have multiple sets of roughly 10 at, at, uh, with squats planned, uh, then you probably won't put 400 on the bar because it'll just be one set all out and then you'll be at failure and then the other sets will go downhill. So maybe you choose like 360 or 370 and then you do multiple sets until you get uh, a small pump, uh, at least a minimum presence of a pump in most cases and evidence of uh, muscle disruption, which can mean muscle perturbation in various ways. Uh, like your muscles just feel like, holy shit, something definitely happened to my biceps, uh, usually a, a notable weakness. Uh, so for example, if you're leaving the gym and your quads are absolutely no, they don't feel weaker, nor are they weaker than when you walked in and you have zero pump, you probably underdosed your first session. But if you have a reasonable like small pump, and you're like, oh, yeah, my quads are definitely feeling it like, oh, the stairs felt strange, then you're probably good enough. And that auto-regulation of volume is kind of cool because you can uh, appreciate after every set, you can reevaluate. So you get on an incline bench and you're like, how many sets am I going to do? And Jared and I today was actually our second day of training for this whole next block. And we went in and did incline uh, Smith machine press. And, you know, like, actually, we did uh, flies after that, machine flies. And I, I was planning on roughly, you was roughly have ideas of doing two sets, Jared and I both actually. And then we first, we, we warmed up and did our first set. And after that first set, we're like, holy fuck, like there's a really decent pump and the pecs feel a little bit fucked up and we still have one more exercise. So we just cut it right there and just one set to start with because there's no bonus points for going too hard in your first week. Then after you have basically those minimum pump, minimum disruption, then you sort of evaluate how sore you get afterwards and the days after. And if you get really, really sore, then you probably just keep that same volume the next time. But if you recover really well and you have plenty to go, and the next time you're in the gym, you do the same two sets you did last time, but your pump's like, "Ah, not exactly anything to write home about, um, and your chest has way more strength left over, then you can probably add a set and so on and so forth. And then through that auto-regulatory process, we end up keeping or adding sets, sometimes subtracting over the course of multiple weeks as you go up and up and up, with the goal being that you want to start from sort of decent pumps and a little bit of soreness or disruption uh, and end your mesocycle at maximum psycho pump uh, 
and the kind of disruption that cannot allow you to do another productive week of training. And when that happens, we deload and then we start that process all over again with perhaps slightly different exercises, loading parameters, so on and so forth. So we really use volume as, as we say almost purely auto-regulatory for us, whatever it takes to get the minimum effective volume in the first week and then slowly building up as needed for that. And there is some nuance there like we don't like to we don't want to have said we did a whole mesocycle with just bare minimum pumps and disruption. It's probably not the best path to growth, but also if you rush into the highest pumps and disruption, the recovery from that is going to be so, uh, so large or so suboptimal rather that you won't be able to repeat that effort several times a week. So we'd like to start at the very low end of what's effective and slowly and confidently work up to what's very effective, see how long we can hang in there. And usually the recovery becomes an impeding factor and when we can no longer uh, stabilize or increase our rep strength, then we know that we've reached maximum recovery volume and it's time to do something to bring that down, whether that's uh, a light session sometimes or a recovery session rather, a recovery half week where you take half a week and just everything's nice and easy or a full week long deload. And then if you do multiple mesos in a row, eventually you get to earn yourself a resensitization, low volume phase or an active rest phase, so on and so forth. That's about it. Jared, anything to add there that I didn't catch? Oh uh, yeah, the only contribution to that would really be coaching caveats because you're not in your client's head. So it's tough to be in the session and actually um, say, oh, I, this, was, this gave me a bigger pump than I, I thought it was going to, and I'm a little bit more sore, so I'm, I'm going to stop right there. But um, generally, I would send over the entire block of training. Um, if someone were to just look at it from like a macro scale, they'd be like, why'd this idiot send over the entire block of training? This is obviously going to be auto-regulatory. And then it is. So like you said, it's, uh, there are some factors that you would take into consideration and they would provide some feedback. So like, how was the pump? What was soreness like the days following? Um, what did it feel like during the session? And then based on that feedback, you would be able to actually auto-regulate uh, the next weeks and the loads. Uh, they'll be programmed as well based on their 10 RMs, things like that, depending on what rep range you're wanting to fall into. But really, so that it's like, look at it for yourself with all, everything that he said, and then you can kind of be in the session and, and auto-regulate probably a little better. But once you have advanced athletes, intermediate athletes that also understand these things, you can explain to them through coaching that like, hey, I know I programmed this today, but just keep in mind that if you feel this way or that way, you can uh, maybe take this set away because I know we're starting a little higher than last mesocycle, et cetera, et cetera. So it's just really being very communicative with your clients and making sure they understand these things too. Just, just one last thing, that the volume is a critical factor, but just so we don't leave it out, uh, progressing in reps and load is all about just hitting target reps in reserve. So we start at, let's say, three reps in reserve in the first week, and then you either want to match or lower your reps in reserve week to week to week to make the training progressively harder. So what you end up doing is, you know, the first week could be three reps in reserve, second week could be two reps in reserve, third week could be one rep in reserve, and fourth week could be zero reps in reserve, basically reaching failure or close on every single uh, session. And you can't really, at those high volumes, super close failure proximity, it's just unlikely you're going to be able to do another week after that. You can sure try, but then you're just going to shit the bed and not match your your reps that you did or your load, and then all of a sudden you have to cut it off. So there's that progression too, and how you progress the, the target progression is to reduce RIR week to week to week, or at least keep it stable. So you can have like three and three RIR, but just never three RIR, then four RIR, then five RIR. Training is getting easier than an outside of range of what's most effective. But the question of what to do as far as do you add load or do you add reps, as long as you're staying within the rep range, 
Uh, I don't think that's a very important question. We have no reason to believe that it is. Uh, so if you want to go from sets of like 15 to 16 to 17 to 18 and then deload, I think that's probably fine. And if you want to go from 400 to 405 to 410 to 415 pounds at the same 88888 reps, that's totally fine. As long as you're moving the needle a little bit so that every session is a little bit more challenging than the one before it. Um, I think that's about it. Yeah, and then just the very last thing. That means that because we're dealing with intermediate events like you want to, the paradigms of the training, uh, the mesa cycle will probably be shortened uh, relative to if you had a beginner client or somebody like that because the fitness fatigue paradigm that you see in literature, fatigue just accumulates a little bit more rapidly for people like most of us who are a little more advanced. So if you're trying to push it, you know, seven, eight, nine weeks and then deload, but you're ultra advanced, you might run into some issues, especially since loads are pretty, pretty high. So I guess my next question to follow up on that is what does the timeline of progression look like for like someone like y'all, like within that progression from MEV to MRV, like how long is that, that progression taking y'all? Is it closer to that six week mark, eight week mark? Because I know that the volume jumps are going to be very minimal due to the amount of stimulus per set that you're providing. But just to, just to grasp the timeline a little bit within y'all's mesos, like how fast are you progressing from MEV to MRV? Yeah, so uh, speak for myself and then let Jared talk about how his training looks. Um, basically, I usually start with like roughly two or three sets. Um, per, well, I guess per exercise is a stupid way to talk about it. I start with like roughly, you know, three or four sets per session per muscle group and then probably work up to something like eight sets per session per muscle group, which people think is like, it's not a lot. If you train legs, if you train quads twice a week and you do eight sets of quads, each one taken to zero reps in reserve twice a week, and people have said, like, that's not hard. Like, shut the fuck up. Like, you don't know how to train or you're so weak and slow twitch that just go leave the weight room, run laps somewhere. You'll be good at that. So it gets tough, but it starts out not so tough. And for me, for the love of God, I can't really survive any more than four, sometimes five weeks. It depends somewhat on what kind of uh, special sports supplements you're taking <laughs> uh, and how much of them. But uh, there's an interesting paradigm there that the very kinds of dosages and supplements that allow you to go for more than four or five weeks are also the kinds that break you in half <laughs> at that point and give you the false confidence to do more dumb shit. So uh, basically, I think, uh, you know, uh, a four to one paradigm is our average. And then we do auto-regulate that. So if we're, for example, like real ballsy and we're like another week, but at the end of the third week, everything is a fucking disaster. We can just deload in the fourth week. But if you do a fourth week and you're like super Saiyan Vegeta, then, you know, maybe, maybe, um, very tentatively you can do another week and see how it goes. Um, I haven't done anything more than a five to one in years and I'm not sure how I would survive that sort of thing. Yeah, mine's very similar. Um, I think during massing and dieting phases, especially closer to competition, I tend to narrow the uh, paradigms down a little bit. So instead of starting with a five to one, or instead of starting with like a, let's say four to one paradigm at the beginning of my prep and ending with a, a four to one paradigm, I might start with a five to one paradigm at 16 weeks out and end with a three to one paradigm just so that way, because that's, that, that range is going to narrow as you diet down and it, the progression has become a little harder. So instead of just doing the same volume over and over, you can kind of add an intensity technique, shorten the paradigms, 
just little variables like that that you can shift whenever you're getting deeper and deeper into prep. But when you're massing, those ranges, uh, they, they get further apart, especially when you take in consideration special support supplements. Like he said, those ranges are really far apart because, I mean, you can take the right stuff and, you know, a couple sets a week per body part helps you to maintain your tissue. You can grow off like three or four. So it's just depends on where you're at massing, dieting. But my, like you said, my average paradigm is also probably about four to one. I did a five to one this last mess cycle. It was super tough. My two training partners who are actually clients of John. They, they damn near broke themselves in half as well because they were also doing a five to one paradigm and they very much enjoyed their deload by the end of it. <laughs> Just real quick. Sorry. Um, there's some decent research that James Krieger has summarized about how much off time you can take between accumulation cycles and still get the same results as if you took note off time. So you sort of have a choice inherent in any progression of do you push things a little bit easier every week and train for longer or do you push things a little bit harder week to week and then take deloads more often? And the answer is it probably just doesn't make a huge difference um, and, uh, and or you can actually take more deloads and get the same gains if you, than if you take fewer deloads. So I think the way Jared and I train is we start very easy in each mesocycle, but it quickly gets pretty out of hand. We deload and then we repeat that process maybe like twice as often as some people would. Some folks start very easy or moderate and keep it moderate or keep it pretty easy for longer. And then it just takes them more time to accumulate that fatigue. And then they might deload once every eight weeks or once every 12. To us, that has some theoretical concerns and maybe at the beginning, you're not training as hard as you could be. And, and with using special sports supplements, you can actually pull stuff like that off and it could be totally fine, especially if it's after a long layoff. But for us, we're, we prefer to start on the low end and let the body sort of decide how quickly to progress. And then we just don't last very long. But I think theoretically, when people say like, oh my God, you're deloading, you know, you only train for four weeks and then you do it every fifth week. That's kind of like, you know, 20% of your year that you're resting. Uh, there's no reason to believe that you grow any less muscle like that. That if you tried to deal, not deload for an entire year and you trained hard the entire year hard, uh, then you probably would gain less muscle because you just get hurt more often. And even if you magically didn't get hurt, there's no good reason to believe you would gain more muscle. So I think some people out there see a paradigm where it's like, okay, you go up for four weeks and then easy for one, they get scared and we still get scared. Like ideally we want to train all the time. Fuck deloading sucks, but it just, there's no good reason to believe that, that it's not a good idea. And there's lots of reasons to believe that not deloading that often can be a recipe for maybe not the best outcomes. It's, it's a tough balance to strike because you want to be aggressive enough in your progressions week to week and still maximize stimulus, right? But also, if you're going too slow, it's like, well, what are you really doing here if you're not getting to where you, a point where you need to deload? So there's risk of just expanding your mesocycle out, right, to your point of, like, you get injured. I've done that, been stubborn, and just kept training. I've also progressed so quickly and gotten injured. <laughs> so it's like you need, you need the balance of, like, the right stimulus progression week to week and as you get more advanced, that window might shorten some, right? So like y'all use your MAB, MEB, you know, that window probably narrows as you get more advanced, right? So as, you know, you, you might have a, a one set shift could throw you for a loop. Or if you're not accounting for your other recovery variables, you had a bad night's sleep and nutrition was slightly off, God forbid, that that's enough in, in a high volume state to throw you into needing a deload or going to the gym and injuring yourself or something. Um, I think for myself, I, I lay in the middle. So I typically I'll start, I guess I'll take, I'll take my turn. 
love how I start with people. Yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, yes, so usually um, for, for, for these intermediates and advanced athletes, uh, usually some type of needs analysis takes place, right? Now, this is, of course, if you're working individual, general scale, well, um, that's a diff different case. But even on their own, they should be doing some type of needs analysis and determining what they need for their the, the stage level. And for advanced one, that might be very specific. For someone that's intermediate, that could be just a global growth potentially. They should probably already have an idea of uh, and see like what their volume's currently at, exercises that are working well. And so I just usually will review all this and kind of break it down of what they need what they're currently doing and where I can find the errors within this. And sometimes it's you know, this a lot. Most, most issues I run into with, with programming at the advanced air meet level is usually they're working way too hard and they're going like way beyond failure with shitty form and they just have poor exercise selection or their execution is just terrible. And uh, those are the, the main variables I see. So typically Starting off, we'll, we'll be like, like Mike said, looking through for that needs analysis, what they need, picking correct exercises for them. And then starting with, I almost will sometimes start a little bit lower in volume than what they were currently doing. If it's someone that had really poor execution and um, is potentially just training like way too hard. And I try to clean up that volume as much as possible and make it extremely effective. And sometimes I'll, need to hold that volume constant for a little bit longer before I make progressions just because the, it, it's, it's uh, such a change and novel, novel change for them. And then they start progressing up in load and reps, et cetera. And then at that point we can assess, you know, is it time to increase uh, volume or, or not? Um, but same thing here. Like we know hypertrophy is fairly forgiving adaptation. So we can work between six to like, 30 reps, but typically I'll, I'll usually working between like, eight to 12 reps for, for most compound lifts. Um, that introductory week usually is a, a slight hair down on volume. And I'll typically go with a little few more reps in reserve. And then moving into the next week, I'll raise the reps in reserve and try to get the most effect out of that volume that I have set. And then progress load reps up from that point on. And look week to week is if the progressive overload is occurring. And that would be indicative that adaptations are occurring. And if that's the case, usually I read that out. And if, if we are training hard enough, that overload for, for an intermediate to an advanced athlete, fatigue just accumulates. And at that level, that amount of overload stimulus, typically you, 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 if, you're, if you're going, I'd say below, below like eight weeks of training, um, you're, you're probably needing to do a bit more or there's some other variable not in place. Like speak for myself. So John. Yeah. Is your introductory week, uh, do you have them deal it first or do you just have them do an introductory week right away? Just since we're talking about the, the clientele now. Yeah, like, yeah, sure, sure. I'd love to know what you like to do, yeah. It depends where they've been. Oh, of course, it depends where they're coming from, right? So if they're coming off just an already hard training block and you can see a lot of those fatigue variables already built up, a deload might make sense or you could even have an intro week that's almost serving as a deload but also introducing new exercises and getting them used to that setting loads and reps so they're about to move back into their meso so it's it, you could make an interest even serve as a deload and that's probably more what it is because i do decrease volume on some of those individuals and start them a little lower just the novelty of like changing their exercise around the order of their exercises like 
it's easy to wreck someone doing all that. So the area erring on the side of caution within that, especially for an intermediate advanced athlete that is willing to take it all the way on some things, I think is a, is a smart approach. So then, yeah. So, so then like, yeah, for, for deloading, um, eventually fatigue accumulates. And if I'm starting to see performance detriments and all the other signs of these fatigues, then I'll, I'll usually deload. And for, for me personally, um, sometimes I can keep going and it's more connective tissue issues that, that arise. And so now I just kind of know like, Hey, every six weeks I just deload. And it's like, it's like a safeguard because sometimes I don't, I don't trust myself enough to know when to shut it off. And I've just gone a little bit too far and it's been stupid. So what I've, seen through these years is like hey six weeks you just deload even if you're like feeling really awesome um i think the safety net for me at this point uh, is is there to outweigh the risk and i know a lot of times we want to push into that what if i could do just a bit more and get a just a bit more growth right and it backfires and, and that one moment could be enough to take you out of your training career especially like you know if you're competing at the olympia or something like this like the risk is not worth it Right. So erring on the side of caution in that regard. Um, so I, I agree. Like, Hey, if I'm taking a deload every six weeks uh, versus just training as long as I can, and maybe I have three less deloads a year or something, um, the risk to benefit, I, I think it, it's in favor of the benefit. I don't even think there is uh, I think the risk is massive, but the benefit is actually non-existent based on some of those studies I mentioned earlier that training more off, uh, deloading more often up to deloading once every th four weeks, I think is, is literally going to cause the same gains because by deloading more often, you resensitize yourself to growth more often and the growing, the weeks you do spend growing, the accumulation weeks become more hypertrophic. There's fewer weeks, but they're more hypertrophic and it all balances out in the end. I have done that thing where I've tried to chase the longest time I could train without deloading and it just doesn't result in any more growth. But John, I think you said a couple of things that were super, super apt. Um, James Hoffman, our, our uh, fellow sports scientist here at RP, uh, always is, does the skeptical James squint when anyone reports to him that like my MRV for back is 40 sets a week. He's just always like, what do you mean by back? And they're like, well, pull-ups. I'm like, show me a pull-up. And they're like, yeah. <laughs> and he's like, okay, you don't actually do back training. You've been lying to yourself for years. So like I, I super, super think it'll make an excellent point when the first thing you do with new folks is you see how their technique is and see what their failure proximity is. And a lot of times Jared and I will train with new people and be like, yeah, I can't get my quads to grow. And we're like, what? So we put them on the Cybex leg press and do sets of 10 to 20 close to failure. And all of a sudden they're like vomiting blood and they're like, holy shit. And it's like, well, what the fuck were you doing for quads? So a lot of people concern themselves with training volume where as, as John, you said is excellent point. You have to have, the correct exercises correctly executed to a correct, uh, basically reps and true reps and reserve that are pretty hard with the right loading paradigm. Only after that, like volume is how much of that it's, it's like someone says like, well, I can't get full off of eating pasta. You're like, show me how you cook pasta. And it turns out they barely cook it at all. It just goes right through them and just shit out actual pasta. You're like that's your fucking problem. It's not, you're not, it's not that you should be eating more pasta. You should learn how to cook. So it's the same, same idea with the quality of the training comes first and then the quantity. And a lot of people have that fucking backwards. So they'll say like, oh, my MRV for biceps is 60 week. Like, is it though? Maybe it's not. And I think a really good coach more than supplying numbers from any sets to train can look at videos of you or whatever and hopefully see you in real life and say, hey, like, 
you know, you really, you really have, or be, have, and sometimes it's really tough, right? John, you probably coach some really high level guys. I don't essentially coach anymore, but for my friends, but it's gotta be real tough to like, and actually that's a question I had for you. If you don't mind, how the fuck do you tell high level guys that they don't know how to do shit properly? Like they show you an incline bench and you're like, good news, bad news. Like you don't actually know how to bench press, even though you've been training for 18 years. Like, can you address that? Like how, what's the best way to tell folks at that high level that they need to like, not lift like that and lift, lift better. What do you think? I think it does help that I'm on the same level of those people competitive wise. So there's that respect coming in and, and also just approach as well. Like, Hey man, your incline bench looks like total shit. Like no wonder you don't have chest and be like, well, fuck you, John. I don't want to listen to your ass. And, or it's like, Hey man, you're doing these other things really, really good. Um, I think we can get some more gains out of your chest. It's like more gains hell yeah, what do I do? It's like, hey, make this little tweak and you're going to get a lot more out of it. And it's like, oh, okay, awesome. So I think coming in, they already have a different perception of like what to expect with coaching, but you're absolutely right. Like these plans that you just send, like here's the right sets and reps to do, perfect. But you never see them do them. Gosh, who knows what's really happening? Like that's that's the value in, in the coaching. And I, I have a lot of guys that just, there are some that at that level, they're just like, I know how to lift. You know, I don't need that instruction. I just need the right, the right plan. It's like, ah, you're missing it. Like the right, the right plan comes along with that instruction. So you need to be sending your videos. So they are a little bit more hesitant to like, to, and another part of it too, is I don't want to take away from their training, but I'm filming it all the time. I've had a few guys like, that's a distraction. I'm like, really? Because I mean, there's always training partners around and there's like tripods. It's like really just need like one set. So sometimes it's agreeing to like, Hey, send me like two exercises, two sets a day. And we'll eventually kind of work through those. Um, but I don't want to like take them out of their like mental focus for training, but no, they're, they're fairly receptive to it. So it's just, just approach, you know, with anything. Right. So I think that one thing I kind of wanted to point out, because I'm kind of really, really similar to John in, in my setup and progression across time, um, is, is looking at the evidence of like the ways that we progress people across these, these training cycles. Um, I think that there may be, I think John and I probably stay a little bit closer to what Dr. Mikey would call like an MAV for the majority of the training cycle. We don't overly approach MRV as much, and John, correct me if you're thinking different, but we don't approach MRV quite as fast as, as y'all would. And I kind of wanted to look at and ask y'all some questions on y'all's thoughts, specifically on um, a paper that just really recently came out was like Abe out of University of Tampa, um, the 12 set, 18 set, 24 set. And like what y'all's thoughts were around that when, if, looking at kind of like some of that individual data, we saw progress with some of the people that dropped volume relative to where they were. Like where, what evidence are we looking at and looking at progressing variables, whether it be progressing volumes in terms of set across sets across a macro or a meso, and then or versus progressing load and reps within a similar volume across time. Yeah, sure. So this is a kind of a contentious topic. And we actually just wrote the, the final draft of an article we're publishing on RP's website as a response to various critiques, mostly from like Eric Helms and the crew there. And it's really awesome that we're having this exchange with various people because this is how progress is made. Um, 
I don't usually like to comment on any single studies because single studies can be aberrant. Uh, the uh, Barbalo study, at least one of them, has been retracted. With people commenting on that just two months ago. <laughs> it turns out just made up the data or some shit like that. So uh, uh, you can't speak to specific studies, but we have an understanding of how volume works uh, relatively. Uh, for example, you know, it's been shown that as few as three sets per session uh, cause robust hypertrophy in, let's say, beginners and intermediates. And we also have an understanding that that hypertrophy tends to be maximized on, on average with eight sets per session or something like that. And any more is probably like less hypertrophy or the same with the same amount of work. Any less than three sets per session might not cause as much hypertrophy as we'd want. So the real question is like, where, which number of sets do you start the program with? And you can say we can start with eight sets because it's the average best result, average MAV, maximum adaptive volume. But if after a deload week, especially if you've switched exercises, starting with eight sets uh, per session per muscle group is going to cause a cataclysmic level, especially in stronger people, uh, of delayed onset soreness and just damage. And it's been shown numerous times that such damage interferes with growth. So for us, we'd probably want to start at something a little less than that because we know it causes robust growth. And then as our bodies show to us that they are recovering well, then we tentatively add a few sets uh, here and there through the weeks so that the stimulus continues to be close to optimal the entire time. Because what is an average best stimulus isn't necessarily the best stimulus at the beginning or at the end of a mesocycle. For example, if the average is eight for the best possible stimulus, that means you might get close to that kind of stimulus with sets of four if they're novel to you. And it's not, it's not sets of four, sorry, four sets per session if it's novel to you. And then, you know, if you start with uh, eight sets per session, that first session, maybe second session can be so damaging as to cause minimal or no hypertrophy. So maybe start with something like four sets and then we get a pretty decent pump, pretty good soreness, nothing too crazy. We can recover. And we know theoretically that we can't just keep training with four sets per session because it probably like, it's very unlikely that that's our best volume for hypertrophy. Like the average is closer to eight. So if you're recovering well and your strength is stable or increasing, and you can add sets over time until you get to that eight and then nine and then 10 mark of sets per session. And eventually, just because you're making training that much harder over time, the accumulated fatigue is kind of a self-solving problem where you just won't be able to match your reps and weight anymore. And you'll start to get weaker. And that's stupid from all kinds of perspectives. So then that's when you deload and you restart the process. So I think that training at that average uh, MAV is great on average, but it, training a little less at the beginning of a mesocycle, easing into it because that average might be too much to start with is a good idea. And towards the end, usually won't have to go further than that because the accumulated fatigue will cancel out your ability to do so. But if you have a little oomph at the end, there's been recently several studies um, and some good theoretical groundwork in the fact that overreaching, functional overreaching might actually be a real thing for hypertrophy. So taking the last week to really go a little bit further beyond what would be sustainably recoverable might actually allow you to grow through your deload week. Um, so on that end, that's why we advocate more of starting closer to your minimum effective volume and working through your MAV, but really because your body's not used to those lifts and so on and so forth, your minimum effective volume and your maximum adaptive are very close to the same number at the beginning of a meso. But after that, maximum adaptive volume starts to march up. You march up along with it. And towards the end, what is your theoretical maximum adaptive volume? goes above your maximum recoverable, which is physically impossible for you to hit because you just get weaker after that. So then you'd have to deload, recycle, and repeat. So that's our perspective on it. We're not saying that you have to increase sets as a matter of 
as a matter of course, through the weeks that you got to go up in sets. But if you're training properly, you start a little bit on the low end. Then after one or two or three weeks, the low end, even if you're getting closer to failure time, which you should be doing, even if you're lifting a little bit more weight, even if you're doing more reps, you just may be in a position where you are doing four or five sets per session, which is on the low theoretical end. You're recovering more than adequately, like you're barely getting sore and barely getting a pump. What is the response uh, if someone was like, hey, why don't you increase and go up to six sets next week from your five currently? You'd be like, no, fuck that. It's dangerous or something. It'd be like, but you're completely recovered and you're totally fine. Like, yeah. Like, and also theoretically, you're not even at what is an average best for intermediates. You're like, yeah. Like, so why don't you add a set? Like, fuck that. We don't add sets. That's crazy. Like, we, it's just that dogma is confusing. And, and most people don't have that opinion. But if you go on YouTube, holy shit, the trolls all have that opinion. Um, but, it, but on a serious note, that's kind of where we sit is if we think volume should start on the lower end, but lower end volume is not appropriate for the entire mess cycle. Just ex it's exactly like reps in reserve. So we start at three reps in reserve on average, not because we think it's the best, but because it's more than enough to grow really solid muscle without injury risk and with very low fatigue in a first week. Now, the second week, third week, fourth week, it would be weird if you just kept staying at three RIR and someone's like, why don't you go to two RIR and then one RIR? You're like, because you'll fucking die. I don't know. There is no good reason. So then you move up and up and up and then eventually you hit muscular failure and there's nothing wrong with failure. It's just not sustainable. But if you do it in your last week, you're good to go. What I like to do is put on my squat max, take the fucking pins out, tell everyone to leave the gym and you fucking just leave me with the squat, bro. And I'm going to failure if it kills me or not. You know what I'm saying, Iron Brothers? Brother, sorry, brothers and iron. I should have said that right. <laughs> so I guess, and, and John, I kind of want you to comment on this. Like, could we not see, so like that MAV moving past our MRV, our MRV across the training cycle, could we not be keeping up with that shift in MAV with, because I completely agree with starting below and working up to MAV, kind of like the introductory week that John, that John discussed. Like that's probably a little bit closer to how I do it. But could we not keep up with the MAV across time with progressions and in reps and load within the sessions without needing to add sets across a training cycle? So this – well, first off, I think Mike and Jared, like – Everyone wants to get in their dogmatic approaches. I think as we progress up and throughout the ranks in our programming, we hook on to some variable that we find that has been productive for us. And you latch on and you, you go to the extreme with that. So you, you see these camps kind of emerging between intensity, you know, like the hit style training, like it's about effort. So we're going to go to failure and beyond, right? We only need one set, but as long as we're like getting like 10 force reps, it's all good. Uh, but then you have like another camp emerges like volume. Oh, you just do more work. And that has its own issues, right? Because there's a lot of ineffective sets that you're doing. You're just accumulating a lot of fatigue. Um, but they've latched onto that. So they look at the intensity guys, think they're idiots. And the intensity guys think the volume guys are idiots. And, and so they've taken that up then further as like their belief system, right? And so that's how they identify. And so anything outside of that is now like an offense to them as a person and they're going to attack you. And it's, I think it's, it's, it's prevalent. And I think just in general culture, we like doing this, right? Like I'm vegan, I'm carnivore. Like 
well, hey guys, like if, why don't you just eat a little vegetables and eat, eat a little meat? Like, oh no, no, that doesn't fucking make sense. Like, <laughs> it's like, well, usually the, there's some truth like within the middle. I think that's where a lot of this lies, but within the, like the research and what people have gotten harped up on lately, of course, is volume. And we know that there's this association with increasing volume and hypertrophy, but we, we also know if you, if you do too little volume, it, you're probably not going to grow. And also we know of, of studies, like there, there's probably a ceiling as well. Like you go too high, fatigue's going to accumulate and it's probably going to go too far. And with, and we group all the studies, like right in the, the systematic reviews of putting all the volume together, we have some idea of where that set number should be and kind of a range around it. But within the individual studies, we have to, we could get really nuanced and look at how that volume has been accounted for. Right. So if we're just looking at set number, well, it kind of gets murky because you're not accounting for each individual study of how they implemented that. So maybe they were doing three sets of eight with a RIR of three. Maybe they were doing five sets all the way to failure with one minute rest intervals. Maybe the other set had the other study had two minute rest intervals. And so all that changes the effectiveness of the per set volume. And so looking at now what volume should you work within? We know you shouldn't do too little. We know you probably shouldn't go do too much. We have this range, and then what that range is going to be determined by, by the effectiveness of your per set volume. And there's many ways to make that effective, and that's what we've seen in the literature. I think that's what should be taken away, is that you could go a little closer failure, but you're probably going to do less sets. You could probably do an extra set, but you probably wouldn't need to go as close to failure. Now you could get really, really into it and say, well, which one's better? And we have a couple studies that kind of compare some things. But I also think it's, it is still fairly limited, but we're learning a lot. And so I think keeping that openness to it is, is what should be there. Um, the other research that is coming out is looking at individualized uh, points within these studies, right? Where, where do people start at and how much does their volume increase and how, effectiveness, uh, how effective is that? We have some studies where they drop people's volume and it's more effective, probably because they got pushed harder in the studies than they, maybe they really weren't training that hard or maybe they really weren't doing that many volume. Maybe they're counting the warm-up sets. I, I don't know. Um, and, uh, it, maybe they were, and, and so it made it more effective. And so that, that's not saying like, oh, see, low volume works. I told you. Well, no, no. It's the effectiveness of that volume and within that person's recovery capacity. So looking at these individual points, it's – you know, making the volume effective for that person. And then potentially there's benefits to possibly moving them up at some point. And what that point is, is kind of where the contention lies, right? Like, is it mid meso cycle? Is it meso to meso? Um, what we would say is like off that, there's that Scarpelli study with leg extension. They're comparing each leg. One's like a 20% increase in volume. The other one's just whatever. It's like 22 sets, no matter what you did before. And the ones that had the 20% increase in volume had better growth than the, the standard 22 set volume they put people on. Because some people went probably way over MRD. Some people were maybe like way below. Um, so the individual component is, is very important. And so we don't know yet, like, how much increase is enough. We, we, I, I mean, I think we're going to get a picture, right? But is it a 30% increase in, in set volume or, or just total volume load? And that is enough to keep someone progressing. How long can you hold that for? And just keep up with the adaptation through increasing load and reps. Uh, and maybe at some point you don't really need to add a set because one set could be a large increase for a certain individual. Say you're squatting, whatever, 500 pounds, three sets of 10. 
and you add in, in one more set of 500 pounds instead of 10, like that's a, f- a fucking huge increase like for some, for an advanced guy. So maybe as an advanced guy, I think this is where some people just get all up on RP, right? Is like, you're going to add a set, I would die. Like, well, maybe you would die, <laughs> you know, like maybe at an advanced level, all you have left to work with is really load and rep progression. And you could maybe lower it, but lower your RIR and, and do a set, but you're, you're kind of maxed out every progressive scheme that you could do load reps and sets. And now adding a set just keeps you within this tight range. So, so that's basically how I have to train. Like I train within a very tight range. And if I need to bring up a certain body part, I'll run like a, you know, a focus on that area where I can bring volume up slightly, but other areas have to be moved back down to maintenance. So I don't push over onto these recovery capacities that have had issues. That was really long-winded, so I'll just stop. Long-winded is the only way I think, John. I was mad respect. Um, that those are some great points. I think that um, it's all auto-regulated and all individual at the very end. So, because people say you know adding one set is too much. If that's the case, don't add a fucking set. But it could be that adding five pounds to the bar is like barely making a fucking difference. And then you have to add like three reps. And then the next week you'd add another three reps to keep your RIR at a target and add another five pounds. And all of a sudden you're outside of your rep range and you could be like not sore, not pumped, going to failure with three sets and have increased the load only 10 pounds. And someone's like, why don't you just increase the load a lot more? That's a fine idea and might work. But also that's can result in injury at least as much as increasing volume because increasing load is definitely correlated to a higher injury than volume. Uh, there's a group of studies on bodybuilders, Highland Games and strongman athletes and weightlifters and powerlifters that shows the injury risk for bodybuilding is the lowest out of all those, especially when compared to powerlifting. It's awfully curious because bodybuilders just do more volume by long shot than powerlifters. How the hell do powerlifters get more injured? Because the absolute load is higher. So a lot of times guys will say, well, I put more load on the bar instead of doing more sets. Why, right? Like, could get you more hurt. I don't, I don't know about you guys, but like, if I have to bent row 200 pounds, uh, this is just unlikely that I'm going to get hurt no matter how many sets of that I do. I'll just get tired and my performance will fall. I'll just feel like a piece of shit. But I'm not tearing my lat at 200 pounds in the bent row. But if I do from 315, I go up to 365 in the bent row. I don't know. Yeah, 365 might tear my ass up, even at two or three sets. So um, that load versus sets distinction, a lot of times people describe sets as like more injurious. I, don't, I just don't think that's the case. But in some cases, John Lee brought up the five by tens or the, the three by 10 squat, adding another set. Yeah, for sure. If you can't recover from that, you absolutely shouldn't add it. But that same also applies to load. Like as we become more advanced, that volume window narrows to where your minimum effective volume and your maximum recoverable get really close together. And that really sucks. Then you don't really add a whole lot of sets. You only left with load progression or rep progression. But that argument also applies to load and rep progression. You used to progress in load by 15 pounds every week. You used to just slap on 15 pounds on the leg press and do the same reps and everything was golden. Then eventually you were only slapping 10 pounds on every week. And now it's five pounds and maybe in the future it'll be five pounds every other week or something like that. And also with rep progressions, like you used to be able to, when you were doing weighted pushups, you would, every week you would just add two reps and still get the same amount with the same load, like 20, 22, 24. Maybe now you're adding a rep. Maybe in the future you add a rep every other time. So the same concepts that apply to load progression and rep progression also apply to set progression. Beginners 
uh, can start at one set, like literally one working set per week. And at the end of their first mesocycle progress to like four, which is like a multiple of four of their fucking volumes, 400% increase in volume. It's fucking crazy. Intermediates can start with maybe like six sets per week and work up to, you know, 12 sets per week, which is a 200% increase in their volume, which is big, but like, you know, not as big as when they were beginners. And then advanced can start at 10 sets and only work up to 12 sets because their effectiveness is so much better. They're so much stronger and they just reach MRV that quickly or with just those few additions. So you end up almost changing volume by very little, if at all, you might start with 11 and end with 11, um, which is, you know, something like a 20% or 0% increase in volume from sets. And maybe now you're relying on these small fractions of adding reps and or adding load and sometimes even adding reps is too much if you're squatting in the five to ten rep range you don't fucking add reps like you hit squat for sets of fives you don't just go to sets of six and then sets of seven and sets of eight like what the fuck you just that's like adding 100 pounds to your squat max that just doesn't happen so for squats and stuff like that you might be adding two and a half i've done things on the smith machine this is embarrassing as fuck uh charlie and i my uh my old training partner jesus christ i got a new training partner now it's like a new wife i'll still call you charlie every now and again in bed it'll be really confusing so like we'll add a two and a half to one side of the Smith machine like every week. So basically we add five pounds every two weeks. Like that's fucking insulting, but that's the level of which we're gaining. So I think set additions should always mirror your abilities and your, your work capacity and your recovery ability. So here's where we would add sets. You're doing a certain number of sets you thought was a good idea. And at some point, whether it's between mesocycles or within, because we don't make a distinction there, some folks do. They say you should only add between mesocycles, not within. If we're in week two of a training paradigm and we're doing three sets of bent rows, and in the first week, three sets get us a pump, a little sore, ooh, I feel it. If three, two or three weeks later, we do three sets of bent rows, even though we have increased the load on the bar or added repetitions, man, like you just, you guys ever get done doing a certain number of sets of something and you're like, man, I'm kind of just warmed up now. Like, and there's no way I'm not going to recover from four sets of bent rows. And the literature says that if I can recover and if I can continue to perform, I'll probably get bigger. Here's an interesting thing that's been found many times in the literature. If you have a low volume or moderate volume versus a high volume, you actually tend to see very similar strength increases between those two programs. But the higher volume programs also come with more hypertrophy increase, though they don't come with any enhancement in strength. So at that point, saying that, well, I don't want to add too much volume because it'll hurt my strength gains, that might not be the case because the adding volume grows more muscle, keeps your strength gains the same. So you would much more economically gain strength if you did the lower volume program. But I don't think strength within a mesocycle can be the only thing that's used to judge progress within a mesocycle. And I think essentially if you're recovering and if you're, uh, seems like you can get more out of your program, I think it's probably airing best on adding a set or adding some volume or adding some load or adding some whatever rather than maintaining because it turns out when your body gets tired, it'll quit on you probably without getting hurt. Hitting MRV is not this in, insane thing that you just collapse. I think Lyle McDonald has caricatured our views on or my view on MRV as like, got it, you train until you're broken. Uh, and it's like, yeah, that's exactly what under-recovered means. Like every time a soccer team underperforms, the, the coach is like, they're broken. Get the hospital over here. Right? Like it's not training until you're broken. It's training until you can't meet, match your recent PRs that you hit in last week. And then you know that any more volume is not a good idea. And then you can sort of deload and then go back to super low volume. So I think there's a tendency there to say, okay, we can progress an RIR within the meso. 
I can progress and load and reps within a mezzo to chase that RIR, but sets, ah, and there is a categorical way in which sets are not a good idea to progress. That's if they're such huge units of addition of stimulus that they're too much to recover from. Like there's no fucking way I'm doing it on a set of squats. But what Jared and I are saying uh, is if you're totally recovered and can absolutely do another set of squats, why the fuck not do it? All the literature seems to supply that that's probably a good idea. And it, there's probably very few downsides of that. And at the end of a mezzo, if you never added that set of squats, you could see that your strength is still going up because you're still building some muscle and neural factors are accreting. And you could say to yourself, well, I don't need to do any more volume because my strength has gone up and everything's fine. Well, it could have been better. It could have been better if you added a few sets, you could have had the same or uh, similar strength increase and you could have built more muscle during that time. So I think if you're recovered and ready to go, and you will recover if you try this new volume. I think doing that more of that volume is, is probably something we would advocate. Trying to articulate what I want to say, because I, I really like the, <clears throat> the auto-regulated approach that you're describing it as, because I think a lot of people, like you said, with Lyle McDonald and stuff, misnomer, like kind of the setup that y'all do with like, like I've even heard people like say the, like the prescribed volume progressions or the prescribed deload and stuff like that without it not being an auto-regulated. My question, I guess, is, and you kind of lost me for words there because that was a good description, um, would be within the progression of variables within a, within a meso, the effectiveness of the volume is obviously going to play into how much we, we add volume, okay? And within that... We can progress multiple things, load, reps, volume, et cetera. What is the evidence to show that the necessity of training or bringing volume up to a point that we're overreaching to drop off? Because sometimes like, I wonder how solidified the evidence is within that overreaching drop off for, for progress. Now I know that James Krieger shows like, you know, you can take the breaks and pretty much match consistency over time. I'm not arguing I'm not arguing that you don't need to deload because that is definitely a necessity within programming to continue progress over time. But where do we draw the line with pushing volume up to a point that we're overreaching for overreaching to the point that the deload necessary is a lot longer than if it's not quite to the overreaching point. Just before we dive into that literature, because it's, it's pretty interesting, but I'd like to make one more uh, comment on what Mike just said and then kind of just hear what John has, is thinking about it all. Um, you, because we deal with intermediate advanced athletes generally, um, it, it might just be that poor exercise selection is somehow artificially limiting the amount of volume that they're actually really, and not even artificially it's just a poor exercise right so you choose these exercises like you said three by ten uh 500 pound squat well maybe that was just a poor exercise for this person who we want we thought they were advanced but really the SF, sfr was just so poor that now you can't even increase their volume anyway so maybe they just shouldn't have been squatting in the first place maybe they should have been doing leg presses and then you actually could have increased their sets so instead of thinking well well man i just i can't add a set on that also, yeah, no shit. If you're, you know, straight leg deadlifting 415 pounds and you're squatting 500, 600 pounds, it's probably just not very, very good exercise for that person to be doing because it's limiting the amount of growth that they actually might have been able to get. So it might just be better to pick another exercise in that case. Um, I've, I've had very strong athletes that I would not consider 
uh, advanced in their training careers whenever they're going through hypertrophy phases, like let's say powerlifters, for example, where they can actually just do way more volume uh, and beneficial volume if you just kind of modify their technique on their exercises and just what exercises they are performing uh, instead of just picking these super poor SFR exercises and they're like final massing mesa cycle where they're supposed to be putting on the most lean tissue, yada, yada, yada. And then you just kind of lead into these connective, uh, you know, joint structure issues and things of that nature. And it's just big mess. But uh, to all of Mike's points and just kind of that, John, what do you, what are you kind of thinking about it all? Well, I, I agree with, with you, Jared. I mean, definitely there's an exercise, there's a point, I guess, an advanced athlete where a, a movement pattern that has so much technical aspects to it, for one, you're kind of limited to how far you can take that RIR, right? Like getting on under a squat rack and like crawling out of it because you had to go to failure and you're like, you know, snapped a few vertebrae, but hey, hell yeah, I did my squat, bro. Um, moving to an exercise that has more stability component that's less fatiguing. Now you can drive more stimulus into that muscle, make it more effective. Like I, I definitely completely agree with that, with that aspect. Um, as, as far as progressing up in volume, um, yeah, I mean, so even, I guess, I guess I have some thoughts too about even progressing over someone's training career. Cause we don't really have course studies on progressing all the way over a training career, right. From intermediate to advanced would, I mean, we usually have like these eight week studies that are kind of more representative of like a meso cycle, right. Um, that you continue to make that volume so much more effective over your career that maybe that doesn't shift around as much like that middle point of optimal, maybe slightly left to right. Um, but being so, so effective. So I guess it's, it, if that's the case, volume probably wouldn't need to be cycled quite as, as extremely. Um, and, and holding it more constant might be reasonable in keeping up. I think, I think where some of this, the issues is terminology and what people grasp from when we're discussing these things, like, increase strength week to week. It's like, well, no, uh, increasing, you lift heavy stuff and, you, and you, you're better at, you know, getting strong. And that's more associated with, with strength training, how you progress in a strength muscle cycle. And it's like, is that what we mean? Like within bodybuilding training? No, it's not about getting stronger. We're not adding load and then dropping reps and having to then drop volume to keep maintaining those loads. Like that's a, that's a strength muscle cycle. But I think the progression within bodybuilding should still be, over time, you're able to do more load for more reps over those sets that are effective to, in keeping up with that RIR, wherever it may be. And that would be the best progression and of what we have and to look at for if hypertrophy is, is truly happening because you know, for, for strength, you're, you're, you can measure this performance outcome for hypertrophy. Well, we're not walking around with our ultrasounds and our DEXs week to week to really know if you know, our muscles are growing. So our, next best thing week to week to know if some positive adaptation is happening is, is performance. I think we add in the word strength sometimes, and then that gets misconstrued by what we mean. It's like, well, no, you, you don't want to just be increasing strength because like you said, Mike, like strongmen, powerlifters, they're high risk of injury. Bodybuilding training is relatively safe. It's so our progressions are in, I think gym performance might be a better describer for it. So increasing your load and reps over those number of sets that is effective for you within that MAV to MEV window and progressing that up over time. And when you're bigger, you should be lifting a lot heavier and that's kind of self-evident. Now 
thing is, is like, do you want to be increasing volume? We know volumes are related to hypertrophy and in these certain studies, more volume is better, but it was more volume was better for that individual. So do you really truly want to be working towards increasing volume? Well, not necessarily like, hell, I want to do the, the if I can get away and grow optimally on less volume, well, that's, hell yeah, that's awesome. You know, if I can get away and grow with less weight, that's even better. Um, but that's just not always the case. And you have to progress it up at some point. But uh, typically, like, I'll go for set volume as my last thing to pull because I'm not trying to have to go up and, and increase my work capacity that much. And sometimes increasing work capacity will tip into the recovery capacity and end up uh, with, with, like, the overreaching, having to take more frequent deloads. So usually it's progression and, and load reps and sets over that effective volume. And for someone that's advanced, like you brought up, Jared, and Mike too, like adding in a set on squat, well, that might not be the best idea because that's a huge increase. So I think at an advanced level, adding a set on like a leg extension might be a more reasonable increase. And so you have to quantify too, like what is a set on an exercise? You know, are we talking about set increase on, on cause I think that's where people get tied up, like increasing sets on squats versus increasing sets on, on leg extension. Like maybe that's a, a more reasonable increase for someone that's at an intermediate to advanced level or like, like your side delts, you know, it's like, how often are you increasing load and reps on, on delts? My God, fucking barely ever. It's like tapping on a magnet to like increase a load or you just kind of hang out there and just wait for it to increase. Like may, maybe maybe those exercises are the good ones that are increased some sets and take them up over time uh, because that is a more reasonable increase in load progression, volume load progression for that exercise versus like you said, Jared, adding on a set of a 500 pound squat is fucking massive. Right. Um, compared to like some of the isolation exercises adding in um, sets. But I guess there's a lot of contention amongst, amongst RP because I think people misinterpret what y'all are saying a lot. <laughs> and that's that's probably a ton of truth in there unless they like directly listen to you but then it goes in and it comes out their mouth because something completely different um but yeah anyway <laughs> so um luke i'd like to answer your question that you posed about overreaching um and then i can or i can actually first address some of some of the points john brought up as using volume increases as a sort of increase of last resort I think there's a question to pose if you can, there's only so much stimulus you can impose over the course of a mesocycle and any more than that is just too much. And you kind of have a choice as to how to go about it. You can, let's say, add 15 pounds a week to the bar and just do three sets per session. And that will reach, you know, eventually you'll put 45 pounds on the bar total after three weeks or whatever, but just three sets the entire time. Or you can only add five pounds to the bar every single time only increasing by 10 pounds. And uh, in addition, or sorry, the 30 versus 10 pounds, right? And then you can also add maybe like a set every single time because the total amount of fatigue is probably likely to be similar between all those. One of those relies more on uh, doing more volume through sets. One relies on more on doing more load. And your body can only handle, it can't do both, right? You can't like uh, simultaneously increase by 15 pounds and add sets. If we know, you know, your certain, your recovery ability is X, you know, it, it, here's how much you can recover from. Either you can do the same amount by doing less load and more reps or, or sorry, less load and more sets or more load increases and fewer sets increases. So 
looking at it from a strength perspective, it's very obvious which one we want. Increasing sets for strength doesn't do probably a whole lot. Increasing load is everything for strength. So we want to for sure keep our volumes very low and increase load as much as possible. So we jump up by 15 pounds every week for strength. The strength is our goal and keep the set numbers lower. Now, for hypertrophy, it's just not clear to me why we would prioritize the same sort of progression. So hypertrophy, if you say, okay, what matters more in hypertrophy? How many sets you do or how much weight you lift within the 30 to 100% 1RM range? The answer is unequivocally how many sets you do. It just has a bigger impact. Um, progressing in load is good for continuing to keep the training, you know, whatever RIR you want, but you can do the same thing in reps. So we can say, look, we're just progressing reps. Uh, and actually, this is almost even better example. What's better, progressing in reps or in load? Uh, and because reps are just essentially almost pure volume progression as well. And the same, same, very similar thing applies to sets. So if you're saying to someone, okay, at the end of this mesocycle, you started squatting 500 pounds for three sets of whatever number of reps. Do you want to end up at 550 pounds for the same number of sets and reps? Or do you want to end up at 510 or 515 pounds, but be doing like four or six uh, sets instead of three? And you can also ask the question of at the end of those numbers, which one of those, is it four, four to six sets of 515 taken to failure? Or is it three sets of 550 taken to failure? Which one of those is going to produce more hypertrophy? The, almost always, you know, unless the person has exceeded the MRV or it's really three sets, which is unlikely per session, the person doing four to six sets with a slightly lower weight, uh, even if the repetitions end up being really similar because the fatigue accumulation, the person doing more sets just as close to failure is probably going to experience more hypertrophy than the person doing fewer sets. Um, now, strength, it's not no contest. The person doing more load will increase their strength. So I think some folks have imported progression models from strength training that are very well established and very proper that is increasing load is always priority number one. And you can fudge with the reps a little bit, but really you don't fudge with the sets. And they've taken it and applied to a hypertrophy where I think the number of sets might theoretically be more important to how much growth you experience. And we're not saying don't add load. You should be adding load to push that RIR closer and closer to failure. You can also add reps instead of load as long as you're within rep range. But the adding sets thing seems to be on sturdier theoretical foundation, at least from that perspective, because if you take that adding load to its sort of like uh, reductio ad absurdum conclusion, then the strongest people in the world and thus the, the best bodybuilders should be the people, should be essentially the same people, which people like Lyle McDonald say is true for naturals, which is just make-believe, which literally just made that up. Um, but of course, everything changes when you're using drugs, which is also bullshit. But People will say like, you know, that's how you get Ronnie Coleman's legs is squatting 800 for two. Well, that's not true at all. He probably could have gotten even bigger legs and gotten less hurt. Yes, I am comfortable saying that. If he just stuck to like the 600 to 650 range for sets of 10 or 12, like absolutely that's the case. And if Ronnie Coleman comes to you and he says, hey, like this next week, I have to make things more challenging. I, I'm clearly this, whatever I was doing this week is just not hard enough anymore and I can do more. Should I put more weight on the bar or should I do another set? another set of two RIR, assuming that he can recover from both. I don't know, man. I'm not really super comfortable with taking a 700, 800-pound squatter and being like, yeah, do more for bodybuilding because we all know how, how much load correlates to injury in, in bodybuilding. Like, guys aren't tearing their pecs out here inclining 225 for sets of 15. They're tearing pecs inclining 405 for sets of three for no good fucking goddamn reason. So I'm more comfortable at giving them another set 
because I know theoretically it's more growth stimulus. Like it has to be, right? Uh, it's just more stimulus. And I think arriving at more stimulus by doing a little bit more volume so is, is a little bit better for bodybuilding than more, more load. Because I, I think like if you want to be big and strong, like what is that called? Uh, it's not a real sport. Uh, power, power building. <laughs> power building. I think, are you a power builder? I'm like, you know, I've looked through the federations and I don't see any power building <laughs> federations. How do you compete in such a thing? But like if you want to be a power builder, then you should prioritize load progression and set progression probably pretty evenly, right? If you want to be a power lifter, you progress, you prioritize load progression, not, not entirely, but close bias towards load progression. And if you're a bodybuilder, maybe you bias towards repetition progression and or set progression specifically in regards to this context. And it's not that you have to bias it towards set progression, but when we're taking bodybuilding and we're looking at it and we're saying you, you load first, you got to make sure you get as much out of load as possible. And then maybe you can increase sets that doesn't at, on first principles analysis make a ton of sense to us because bodybuilding is more correlated as long as the loads are sufficiently heavy, which is not that heavy. And as long as you're going close to failure, the number of sets has actually been much more closely related to hypertrophy outcomes than the loading that you're using as long as the loading is, is challenging. So to us, it's kind of like if you're going to make things because Every week in bodybuilding training or most weeks in the accumulation, you have a question is, I have to make things harder. How do I make them harder? And making them harder in a way that is more conducive to hypertrophy, that is adding sets, at least to us is 50-50 as good as adding load. And uh, when folks say, well, no, like adding sets, I don't know, but that sounds crazy. Uh, and I don't mean to caricature them. Uh, it's a very reasonable position to have, but uh, we're just not sure why adding load is so preeminent and why adding sets is such a bad thing when a lot of the ideas about it seem to indicate that we're getting, adding sets is actually a decent idea. Here's another thing. If you only, if you start with two sets, uh, uh, working sets and you, you like, if I do two working sets, fuck, I'll accumulate very little fatigue. I'll be able to add a fuck ton of load throughout every week. Well, you're not getting a huge pump. You're not getting sore. You're not getting a mind muscle connection. And are you fucking still bodybuilding? The, the answer is probably not. Yeah. What if you end up going two sets, three sets, four sets, five sets, your workouts actually look more bodybuilding ask the longer you train, which is probably going to mean that they continue to supply hypertrophy. Now the recourse to that or the, the rebuttal to that is, but you're not going to get a strong who gives a shit. You're not trying to get strong strength is just something as a side effect of muscle growth. I would rather be Tom Platts squatting to, you know, 505 pounds or whatever for 21 reps than, you know, Dr. Squat who squatted the same weight for, if I remember for like just a set of 10, Dr. Squat, Fred Hatfield had a max squat that was 200 pounds higher than Tom Platts, but Tom Platts just did more volume and more of his progressions were volume-based and rep-based. Uh, and, and it just seems to be like, that's what bodybuilding is more about rather than just load. Uh, even load though, John, I will give you is a very good point. Load is like really easy to measure, right? Like, you know, when you're getting weaker, or stronger for sure. And sets is like, you can always do another set. That's true until you start to measure your performance in load week to week to week. And as soon as, as you're increasing sets, your performance falls off and your ability to lift load, you know, it's too many sets for you to recover from. Then you cut it off. And just real quick, Luke, to answer your question about overreaching, is do we need to go that extra mile in overreaching? It's absolutely not clear to me at all that we need to go that extra mile. The only thing we go to overreaching is one demonstration of maximum recovery volume. That is, last week we did 405 for an average of eight reps. This week we do 410 and we get something like 642. You guys ever have workouts like that where you, <laughs> you're supposed to get five reps and you do two, you rack, you're like, nope. 
nope, something's wrong. I'm weak. Like if that occurs two workouts in a row, that is like Monday, maybe the Monday chest day of this week five was just a fucking bad day. Right. But then you go Thursday to chest day number two and you start warming up on flies and you're like, dude, this is just not going to happen. Or you do your first set was supposed to be 13 reps and you get 10 and someone's like, all right, well to average these reps out, you just need to get 13 in the next one. You do five and you're like, I'm out of here. Right. Two successive workouts of underperformance to us is overreaching. And that's how it's technically defined. Do I think it's a good idea to stay in that state for weeks on end? Fuck no, it's probably a terrible idea. And you would be, you know, you probably won't get hurt because you'll be too weak to get hurt, but you'll just be losing muscle and accruing uh, joint damage the entire time. So it's absolutely not a good idea, I don't think, to overreach for a long time. But fiddling into overreaching for one week, I think is totally fine. I don't think it has a ton of drawbacks. And here's the big kicker if you always stop short of your MRV, how do you know how far short of your MRV you're stopping? Like, and that's a literal question. I have no idea. Let's you're progressing really well and you're, you're, you're benching 390, uh, 395, 400, 405, and it's all same reps and sets and everything's going super well. At what point are you like, fucking shut it down, bro? I love John's idea. And we do the same thing of like, if it's longer than six weeks, we just proactively shut it down. Cause it's like, when you start feeling your best, that's when your pec flies off the bone. You're like, I got this baby. And um, my PhD mentor, Dr. Mike Stone, we talked talk to him about injuries. And he's been, he's like a thousand years old. He's seen everyone at their best and get hurt. And he's been locked up himself. He said that injuries are mysterious. And at least half the time they occur when you're at your best. Like when you're feeling great, that's when you're strong enough to get hurt. Because fundamentally injuries are because the muscle is so strong. It pulls the connective tissues apart. Like it's not the weight that's pulling you apart. It's your own muscle. So at the end of the day, you know, yes, there is that hard cutoff point towards the end. But for us, if you don't reach MRV, how do you know you're not like two thirds of the way to the shit? Like imagine, you know, that's when the other crew, which none of us are in, of in like, you know, you got to train hard or, you know, will, will to live, lone wolf, whatever. They're like, I always train fucking hard. And then they see us doing like four sets a session. They're like, why don't you do eight? And if you've never been to your true MRV, which might be 12, you have no good answer to that. You're like, well, four is good enough. And they're like, wouldn't you get more hypertrophy with six and then eight sets? You're like, no, no, maybe, no. And they're like, I, they, the, hard, the hardcore Wolfpack people would never say this, but they're like, the literature says that most people get better hypertrophy at six and then eight sets. What would you say to them? So I think going from your MEV to your MRV gently, allowing it to show itself really tells you that you're training as hard as you can be training. And there is an objective thing the hard, the, uh, to define as hard as you can be. That last week you did where you saw a decrease in performance because it was just way too much shit, everything to failure, 10 sets per session, that is as hard as you can be training because you physically can't recover to train any harder. I think it's important, maybe not every mesocycle, but often to test those limits because number one, you get good hypertrophy there. And number two, you know for a fact that you're not underdosing like crazy because sometimes, and this is very rare for advanced bodybuilders like John and, and Jared and so on and so forth, but beginner guys might just have volume tolerances that are way higher and a lot of times making them do more, they're like, you know, I've been training biceps twice a week for four sets and they just don't grow. What exercises am I doing not right? You do three times a week for them with six sets on average each, each time and they grow like crazy. And you're like, see, like, and then they go, how do I know? How would I have known it wasn't enough? Well, how have your performance on biceps always kept increasing before you deloaded? Like, yes. So you've never hit a plateau. Like, no. So how do, why the fuck were you stopping? Right. It's like not having, uh, well, I was going to make a car analogy that wouldn't work. It's, <laughs> it's like this. If your car reliably beeps when it runs into the 20 miles left of fuel, but the actual gauge is broken, right? 
why would you stop before it beeps? You could just keep your road trip going. Now, once it beeps, you're not dead. Nothing's happening. You just go to a gas station and pull over and that's it. So the MRV detection is like that beep, even if you don't have an exact arrow. Now, would we love an exact arrow of recovery ability and muscle growth? Oh my fucking God. Could you guys imagine like a little nano probe you put on your quads and it's like your current volume is 50% of optimal. Like, fuck man, they just eat the nano probe and become a fucking cyborg. But since we don't have that yet, I think broaching into those higher and higher volumes uh, slowly, reasonably with minimal, but still some load progression can be a really good way to go about things and can make sure you're not training too easy. So I think Jared and I end up being on both ends of the spectrum. If you catch us at the beginning of our mesocycle, we look like we're just like pussyfooting around. If you catch us in the middle, we're like on the same page as John and we're like, yeah, hardcore, but not overly tr uh, crazy training. And then if you catch us towards the end, then we're like iron mafia, fucking bleed, lead to kill to kill to eat i've seen a t-shirt like that where so it was like i kill to eat it was like a gym t-shirt i'm like who are you killing and eating in the gym what the <laughs> fuck is wrong with gyms you? <laughs> <laughs> so that was perfect uh, I, I i completely 100 agree and i probably should have contextualized my question a little bit under the population that have experienced what their mrv is so they have been there because i do think that that's an integral part is understanding where your MEV, MAV, and MRV is as an intermediate to advanced bodybuilder. And if you don't take the time to actually get there, you can't appropriately write programming, in my opinion, if you don't know where that's at. But I should have contextualized that a little bit. No, no, no problem. And yeah, and to answer your question much with much less, much fewer words, uh, you know, there's nothing, I don't think there's a huge golden golden pot at the end of the MRV rainbow that's like, like if you manage to train at and, and above your MRV for three weeks, then you deload. And if you don't die and your kidneys don't shut down, then you'll be the shit. Like, I just don't think that's real. And the, the at, to quote, to sort of paraphrase John, the risks at that point, it's just absolutely not worth it, especially if you're prepping for a show. Can you imagine like two weeks out of the Olympia, you're like, I tore my pack. And someone's like, that sucked. What were you doing? You're like setting up PR at incline. Like, how important is that to win the Olympia? You're like, technically, it's not important at all but i had an ego so i did it and i was way overreached like that's for sure fucking stupid so so the to answer your question on that but i think at the end of the day the simplest way to convey what jared and i are trying to convey is start on the low end of volume i don't know a, a ton of people would disagree with that you know like just start on the easy end and if some point you get into a situation where even though you're progressing like you should be adding load to keep your rir on target adding reps to keep your rr on target so it's not like you're doing four reps shy of failure you're doing two reps shy of failure one rep shy of failure if doing those things well results in your pumps being not so great like they used to be in the first week, like declining pumps and your soreness declining over the first versus the first week, then maybe do throw in another set and see how things go. Like I would hate for guys to be like, oh yeah, I'm starting here and then I'm not adding any more sets. And they're doing three sets of squats, three sets of leg presses. And someone's like, do you feel your quads? And is, are they getting great pumps and soreness? They're like, nope, I don't feel a fucking thing. I feel like I'm so used to this volume that it's one giant warm up. We just don't want people to do that. But if and this is something that's written in the article that we're about to publish probably today. If you're getting fucking Mondo pumps and, and like uh, you're progressing and, and you're getting like fucking crazy sore, don't increase your volume. There's nothing to fix, right? Like you're, you're doing great. Volume increases on a regulatory style are to address the issue of you could be doing your, your current stimulus is just much lower than your ability to recover from and adapt to 
and experience benefits from. So if you don't have enough, that's when you increase. But if you have enough, if you're getting it, and that's, this is a real problem in, in ter- a misinterpretation of some of RP's views, guys are having excellent chest workouts, 14 sets of chest on average per week, crazy pumps, great soreness, recovering on time. And they're like, I should go up to 16, right? No, why the fuck would you do that? You're having great workouts, but the next workout may be not so great. And you're like, man, you know, my chest is used to this shit. I could do more and probably grow. Then you add, uh, and, and when we first came out, with the MRV concept, hilariously, it was in response to people that think you could just like the rich piano type of people that are like, it's all in the mind. Like, what the fuck is wrong? What? Like, no, your cells are not in your mind, dumb asshole. They're in your body and they can't recover from infinity. The MRV concept was designed as a, as a cap to how much training you shouldn't be doing above that. And unfortunately for many people reading it, as young men tend to do, they everything aligns into the ego. So like, okay, MRV is my value as a human and the higher it is, the better. And I'm going to lie to myself about what it is. I'm just going to do more and more more and more volume until I'm awarded like the, you know, blonde bitch with titties in that video game gives me like the fucking knight shining armor type. I want to win something. God damn it. When do I win shit? So I think that is the real crazy perversion. Start super low. And if you need more volume based on auto-regulatory feedback, your strength is going up and or is stable, but you're just not getting the pumps and the mind muscle connection and the soreness that you're used to getting with, with lower volumes, then you can increase your volume. And for some folks that are advanced, that might be one set of increase per month or zero sets of increase. That's totally fine. For me, for my good mornings, I start good mornings with two sets <laughs> and I end it the mesocycle with two sets because the, the progression alone and load is more than enough to fuck up my hamstrings. But for biceps, it could be start at three sets and move up to six sets per session. And it's all individual at the end of the day. John, you got anything you, got anything you want to comment on that? I know we're running a little over. Yeah, no, I honestly, I, I agree with most of that. All, all, pretty much all of that progression like there is times to increase sets there's times not to if you're getting like that's i think that's like advanced guys where you find yourself a lot like man like I, my i'm having progression in my lifts pumps great and and, and then it just uh, fatigue accumulates so quickly it just pushes you over into like it's slight overreaching and so for like at least for me i'm not getting to the point where i'm like oh man i, I don't have the the time duration to say like Oh yeah, I can just keep increasing sets every week. Like I just don't have that in my toolbox as much anymore. So it's more of like that initial week. Then maybe uh, I'll bump up, and that's kind of where I know I need to ride because it's going to end in me in six weeks. And I already know that from experience of just doing it. But a lot of guys don't have that. And so when you're like, well, yeah, you're right, Mike. Like I'm not getting sore. There's not much pump. Are you progressing in low? Well, uh, well, it's like, well, maybe you need to do more or it's looking at your fatigue. Is fatigue too high or do you just probably need more stimulus? And so those are the options in your way out. And that, that person needs to find where that is. Just like a person needs to find where their effort level is and their RIR, right? Like you, at some point, you need to safely take someone there so they know where that failure point is. Just like you need to safely take someone to their MRV so they know where that is. Um, or they'll never know. Like they'll never know if they're under training or over training you need this rough area to, to kind of gauge between. So um, I think, I think that was well said. I think we, we all do those things just to different degrees of auto-regulating sets and effort and load and reps. Um, and the, the, if looking back big picture, it looks pretty, pretty close to the same thing. It just gets nuanced in like when we're doing it or exactly how we're doing it. I'm sure because every coach is going to be slightly different, um, but big picture it's, it's all there. Basically, to summarize what we all for sure believe, 
you fucking put more weight on the bar every session, more reps, more sets. Otherwise, what are you even doing in the gym, bro? Actually, real quick, sorry. I know I'm taking up time, but side note, funny story. Jared and I are training at a new gym. And uh, when we walked in yesterday, this guy was counting his reps doing, I'm not going to mention the exercise. Anyway, so he's doing an exercise and counting his reps to his training partners. And, and, and he literally switched his rep cadence midway through to something nonsensical, like where he was only doing stuff in the middle. But the way he switched it was he looked at his training partners and goes, watch this shit. And he just started doing like basically <laughs> different exercise. Jared and I were like, oh, ow, that hurts the brain. Time to That's turn the level on. we're dealing with here, folks. <laughs> so just real quick, just because like this is a point, kind of the whole reason I was excited to have y'all on, Dr. Mike, is that the approach to coaching shouldn't be dogmatic. And, and that's the big thing that I kind of wanted to get across to people is that being dogmatic in your approach for each individual that you come across is going to lead you down a path that's not going to be very productive or very beneficial for the individual that you're helping through your coaching. And yeah, we may have differing views, but overall, the core central theme is progression over time with whatever variables that you can progress over time within that. And it can get really nuanced and we can have these discussions, but in general, we're not dogmatic. We're looking at the variables that we can progress. And if we can progress volume to the point because we're recovering appropriately, like you pointed out, like we're going to be able to do that. If we're progressing load and, and reps in order to stay within those RIR targets, we're going to be doing that, right? And so what I want people to start to get away from, because I know that I know that we have listeners that are a little bit more dogmatic, is that the approach in which you do it should be uh, what I call like a reactive programming type of a thing. You're programming and planning each week of sets and reps and workouts or whatever, according to the situation at hand. So your adaptation energy, whether that be higher stressors from outside, so you have to pull back on the inside of the gym, or your recovery capabilities are higher so you can do more in the gym. It's all reactive based on the situation. And that was the big thing of having y'all on is that, you know, people might characterize us as different, different methodologies and programming, but at the core principle of everything, it's pretty much the same. It's just a little bit of a nuanced variation. Matt, you want to wrap us up? Gentlemen, uh, if you guys don't have anything else to, uh, to share, say, um, thank you for coming out. Thank you for coming on to uh, the Half Natty podcast. We greatly appreciate it. Uh, thank you for choosing to uh, use our platform to kind of like spread this message of, um, you know, like getting some volume, some good conversations out uh, in the uh, scientific field. Uh, or the evidence-based field, um, and uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm stoked for the conversation. And uh, Mike, uh, Jared, thank you guys so much for coming out. John, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Guys, if y'all want a shameless plug at this point, your time would be now. Yes, please plug. <laughs> I don't know. RP, we we're trying. I'm just going to cut to the chase. We're trying to build a giant Earth-sized mechanical octopus to envelop the earth and have dominion. If you want to support us, we have a GoFundMe, hashtag at octopus.gofundme. And look, we all, I'm tired of looking up at the sky and not seeing a gigantic mechanical arm taking away my civil liberties. If you're tired to support the brand, uh, John, you seem like a really great guy. The octopus won't come for you and your family, but everyone else, look, it's a giant octopus. What do you think it does? As long as I preach... Don't add sets. <laughs>
then the octopus will come for you. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> There's many so conditions thanks, in which the thanks, octopus guys. changes his mind. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. I really appreciate y'all coming on. That was a fantastic conversation. Y'all have a great day. Absolutely. Thank you. Bye there.